Hello there, my name is Jessie and I am living with a unique type of diabetes called MODI. MODI stands for Maturity Onset Diabetes of the Young. And MODI is caused by a mutation or change in a single gene. There are many different kinds of MODI depending on which gene is involved. I want to raise awareness about MODI and other rare forms of diabetes because honestly, there isn't much information about. I aim to create a space for you to share your stories, gain knowledge and help you to live your life to the fullest with diabetes. Welcome to the Modi and Me podcast. A quick reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as medical advice. You should always consult your medical team before making any changes to your current management. Today we have the great pleasure to welcome Professor Maggie Shepard on the show. She's a professor from the University of Exeter and she is an award-winning researcher, educator and clinician specializing in Modi diabetes. So hello and welcome, Professor Shepard. Like I said, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Could you please tell us a bit more about the the different tasks you perform as a professor and like what does your daily job entail? Yeah, it sounds like a very interesting field to be in. So are you seeing uh, patients yourself? Yes, I am, absolutely. So we run a monogenic clinic once a month in Exeter. And we've also um, just recently got the okay to start up some more kind of highly specialised monogenic clinics for those patients who um, are affected in in different ways with monogenic diabetes as well. So absolutely still carry on seeing patients, which I really enjoy. Okay, sounds wonderful. Why the interests um, in genetics? Well, that's a very good question. So I was originally working in London as a diabetes specialist nurse. I was a diabetes specialist nurse um, for eight years, and that was involved in um, type 1, type 2 diabetes. And then I made the move down to Exeter in Devon for personal reasons and joined the team there. And there was a vacancy um, looking at genetic types of diabetes. So that was new to me at the time. Um, So it was a big learning curve for me. But actually, at that point in time, I was involved in going around and meeting families who've got lots of family members with diabetes and collecting blood samples from them and taking the samples back to the lab so that they could try and investigate did these families have a single genetic cause of diabetes in the family. So um, it was a new role for me, but um, it, it was fascinating and I really enjoyed seeing if they could work out what was the cause of diabetes in those families. So it was rather by chance you you got into that field. You have been in the diabetes space for quite some time. Like what made you become a diabetes nurse in the first place? What was the interest in, in diabetes about? Yeah, that's a very good question. So when I qualified as a nurse, I trained at King's College Hospital in London. And when I qualified as a nurse, the first ward that I was a staff nurse on Um, was a diabetes ward so I found it really interesting Um, and as I became more senior and kind of worked in other fields I really enjoyed working with patients that you could build build up a bit of a relationship with the patients Um, somebody who's got an ongoing lifelong condition 
you'd see those patients again and again. So you're able to build up much more of a relationship with the patient and get a better understanding of them and the condition and how it impacted on them. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I get that. Like I'm a physical therapist and I work with uh, disabled children. So they're in uh, long-term care with me as well. And I enjoy that too. So I can relate to that. That's a really, really good explanation. I've never heard it explained like this, but it's very clear to me. Thank you. So you briefly managed like this, this one spelling mistake causing the diabetes. So can you maybe more um, elaborate on what monogenetic diabetes is and when it was first recognized? Yes, absolutely. So although we talk about monogenic diabetes as if it's one thing, um, there's actually more than 30 different genes that have been identified that a change within any one of those genes can cause a different type of monogenic diabetes. So diabetes running in families was first recognized back in 1974 or around that date. But at that point, they hadn't actually done the genetic, made the molecular genetic diagnosis. It was just the recognition that there was a diabetes that ran in families very strongly, whereas some of those individuals didn't need insulin. But it was in 1992 that the first gene was identified as causing monogenic diabetes. That was the glucokinase gene. And then later in around 1997, um, HNF1 alpha and HNF4 alpha were other genes identified, followed by HNF1 beta. And then in 2004, some of the potassium channel genes were identified that cause neonatal diabetes. And really things have progressed on since then. So there's lots of other genes now that have been found with a single change that causes monogenic diabetes. So although we talk about it as one umbrella term, um, it really relates to there's lots of different genes that can cause different types of monogenic diabetes. And they've all got different characteristics, different clinical features. So it's really important to know which is the specific gene that's got the spelling mistake in, um, because that impacts on the management and the clinical features of those patients. So it's a, a rather new field, only like yeah, 30 years old. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Sorry, it's obviously yeah. existed for a long time, but it's really the molecular genetic diagnosis that, that's new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How common is monogenic diabetes? And how often is it misdiagnosed? Yes, that's a very good question as it well. It is often so, misdiagnosed. Yeah, it was very me. good. <laughs> that's a very good question. So monogenic diabetes accounts for 3.6% of all diabetes diagnosed below the age of 30. So although um, that seems quite a small proportion, of course, we know how common diabetes is. And so, you know, the 3.6% of those diagnosed below 30 can still be a significant number of um, patients. Um, and sadly, we data from the UK, although we're getting better, um, when we first started looking at monogenic diabetes, around 80% of cases were initially misdiagnosed, quite often misdiagnosed as type 1 diabetes because the diabetes tends to prevent, present below the age of 25. So a lot of these patients were um, initially thought to have type 1 diabetes before later getting the correct monogenic diabetes diagnosis. 
Yeah, that's uh, exactly what happened with you, Rena. Yeah, I was older. I was 30, um, 36. Um, but yes, I was diagnosed as type 1 uh, first. Yeah, we noticed that there's like um, much more awareness in Europe around Modi than there is in the United States, isn't there, Rena? Yeah, there's not much diagnosis. And I was also diagnosed with um, kidney cysts first. Um, and because I have Modi 5 and the correlation was not made um, for three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's a common story, sadly. And something yeah, we're hoping since to do. My diagnosis, it helped several other diagnoses within the New England. I live in Rhode Island, so the New England area. It right. went out. So there are several other diagnoses is because of my diagnosis. So that right. was good. I helped educate. Right. So that's what well, I aim to do. That's what the podcast is aiming to do. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well done. So, and can you maybe explain why it is so important that people get this right diagnosis then? Yes. It's absolutely vital that our patients with monogenic diabetes get the right diagnosis because by knowing which gene is affected, that can tell us the best treatment for that patient, but also um, the risk to their other family members. And also, are there any other um, implications of that genetic diagnosis? So just to give you a couple of examples. So, for example, in HNF1-alpha, which is the one, one of the commoner causes of monogenic diabetes, those patients can be very well managed on low doses of what we call sulfonylurea tablets. They're very sensitive to those tablets and they can be very well managed on those. But those patients with HNF1-alpha can be at um, risk of myocardial infarction or heart attacks because although their lipid profile, the HDL, the high density lipoprotein um, levels look good, that's thought to be non-cardioprotective in those patients. So again, by knowing which specific gene change they've got, we can manage those patients appropriately. For other patients who've got HNF1-beta, um, that can affect the kidneys. Um, that many of those patients will need insulin treatment. Um, not many of them can manage on tablets because they tend to have a small pancreas. Um, so they'll often need insulin, but it's very important for those patients that we're able to um, do ultrasound scans and check the kidneys for any renal cysts, etc. cetera. Um, and just to give you one more example, in HNF4-alpha, individuals who inherit the change in that gene um, can be at risk of babies being born macrosomic or having a large birth weight, so over four kilos, um, typically at term. And the babies can have neonatal hypoglycemia, so low blood glucose at birth because of an extra production of insulin in utero. So in those cases, it's really important to know the specific genetic cause in those families so we can help aid the management of pregnancy in those cases. And really all the different genes have got these, these different clinical features. Um, just one of them that's a really um, positive example, if you like, is individuals who've got a change in the glucokinase gene because these individuals don't need any treatment at all. Their blood glucose is just very slightly raised from normal. And in fact, giving them treatment really makes no difference to their blood glucose. And these patients aren't, with glucokinase modi aren't prone to the typical diabetes complications that we may see in other forms of diabetes. 
Um, so for those patients, getting the right diagnosis means that they can stop their routine screening and their routine treatment. It's really, really important to get the right diagnosis. One more example, just to give you a final one, in the potassium channel mutations that we see in neonatal diabetes, some of those children can have learning difficulties associated with the um, change in the potassium channel. Um, but by giving those patients glabenculamide treatment, not only does that control their blood glucose as much better, but the glabenculamide also crosses the blood-brain barrier. And so we've seen some improvements in neurological function. So really, it's, it's absolutely crucial to get the right diagnosis for all these patients. Okay, thank you for explaining that so, so thoroughly. It's really interesting. Uh, like the CKG uh, mutation as the MODI2? Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, okay. And even yes. pancreatic enzymes, because I, I was able to take Absolutely. pancreatic enzymes because yeah. I don't yeah. produce pancreatic enzymes from, for uh, MODI5. Yeah. Absolutely, I missed that one. Yes, typically our patients will be on Creon for sure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I got all I got all the telltale modis. I got them all. Oh. Mag deficiency. I got I got I check a lot of boxes on the modi five yeah. train. Yeah. yeah, it's it must be an interesting field with patients um, being so diverse in their in their yeah complication complications or no. That's not the right word. Well, it's just the different different clinical features yeah. for the different genes that have been identified. And I think what's really interesting is we don't know what we're going to find next and what the implications of that that's going to be. And yeah. that, that's what keeps it so interesting in a way. As new genes are being found, we then have to follow up those families and work out, okay, well, what's the situation and look at the biology of the um, genes affected as well. Exactly. Thank you for uh, helping me out there. If people listening think they might have been misdiagnosed, what should they do in general, maybe specifically for living in the UK? Yeah, that's a very good question. So I point everybody to start with to our website. So that's www.diabetesgenes.org. There's lots of information on there. But one thing that um, people might find very useful is what we call our Modi calculator on there and that can be downloaded as an app if you just look for the extra diabetes app so the calculator and the app just have just ask eight very simple questions um, along the lines of age of diagnosis um, gender um, hba1c treatment family history etc so you can very quickly fill that in and then it has, it calculates the probability or the likelihood that individual having MODI or monogenic diabetes. So if you come up with a high score on that, then we'd say, okay, well, this is worth thinking about a little bit further. Um, but also on our website, um, if you look under the sections around genetic testing, it tells you the criteria um, which make people eligible for genetic testing. So again, that's looking at how likely is it for somebody to have a genetic form of diabetes. So I'd really point people to our website, first of all, and that's a great place to, to start to see, okay, how likely is it? Yeah, Jesse will send it to list, yeah, in the notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna put that in the show notes. That's, it's really interesting there. I, I've never heard of something like the calculator before. Um, no, me neither. It doesn't exist here, so that's a really 
great tool, I think. Yeah. Well, maybe have a look on the website and give it a try yourself and just yes, see how absolutely. easy it is to use. Because it, it's something that um, clinicians can use literally on their phone with a patient in front of them or, you know, with a computer. And it just takes a minute or two. Very quick. Yeah, it's a great idea. We, we will put it in the show notes and try it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great advice. So um, another thing I was wondering about, so like we discussed, it's very important to get the uh, correct diagnosis. But um, does this change in diagnosis have some, some implications on insurance for those people in the UK? Yeah, so that's a good question as well. So for the patients with glucokinase mode, what is next? Are there, um, what are you currently working on? Anything new, new program, research, anything you want to share about? Um, so what I'm working on myself, I'm doing some research. What we used to do kind of years ago was just when we got a blood sample in to do for genetic testing, we would just look for a change in a specific gene based on what was that individual's clinical history like, what, what gene did we think it was most likely to be. Whereas now the technology's changed. So we get a blood sample in and they do what they call a panel test, which means they look for changes in all the different genes all in one go. And what I'm aware of is that sometimes a patient who thinks they've just got diabetes, we're doing a panel test and we're perhaps coming up with a result that has implications for other organs perhaps. So for example, with HNF1 beta, People may find they've got renal cysts that they weren't aware of. They may find they've got a bicornic uterus. They may find they've got um, pancreatic agenesis. They may find, you know, with other different genes, it can affect the hearing. It could affect, with a different gene, it could affect the heart. Um, so I'm really keen to understand, actually, if a patient's getting a result that they're not expecting, you know, they just went in thinking they've got diabetes and they're coming out with a result that's got wider implications for their health and their family's health. How can we best help them in terms of giving that information, giving the right support? And how can we best help their healthcare professionals who are looking after them? So at the moment, the research I'm doing, I'm interviewing um, patients who've got what I term an unexpected genetic result. And I'm also interviewing their clinicians to see actually other things we could do better. You know, what, what's most helpful for them in terms of not only um, preparing the patient for what possible results they might get, but also um, preparing the clinicians for how can we best give that result and, and what supporting information would be most helpful. So we're hoping to really learn from our patients and the, the healthcare professionals involved. That's really interesting. Um... What I was wondering, if you, you see in that um, genetic panel, do you see someone is at risk to develop these kind of complications? Or does the person is like 100% sure he will get these? Or is it just at risk? Well, that's a very good question, because I think, again, going back a few years, we would only test for certain genes if a patient kind of met all the had all the features that we would expect but now by doing the panel test you know some of those patients will just have diabetes but actually by getting a certain diagnosis it then makes us think okay well we need to look at have they got these other issues do we need to test for them and if they're quite young 
are we anticipating that they might develop them later or would we expect to see it you know, early on? And I think with all the different genes, there's lots of different scenarios, but I think it's something we need to be, um, you know, find out more about, to be, to be honest, to really help, help support patients and professionals better. That's probably similar to how Allie, my daughter, has the same mutation as me, but currently all we know is that she happens to have a cyst on her kidneys, but, but we don't know, but she has the same, we, she, we have this, I have 17 Q12 deletion. So it's the whole chromosome. Yeah. So she yeah. probably yeah. will, it's the same deletion. So she'll probably develop the same things as me, but we don't know. Yeah. But, and it's quite it interesting. Same, but it's the same yeah. part of the chromosome that is deleted. But she, she doesn't have diabetes, she doesn't have anything at this point. It is quite interesting in HNF1 beta because we do find quite a lot of variation. So even within family members, as you say, with exactly the same um, condition, you know, we notice quite different, um, you know, variation within the family. And also there's quite a lot of variation in HNF1 beta in terms of the age at which diabetes pre presents as well, much more varied than some of the other types of monogenic diabetes yeah I've, I've noticed that myself i've uh, modi one um and i'm completely uh different than my mom for example we are different uh, we are managed completely different uh, so i'm on insulin and she's on oral medications and there's like so much yeah diversity even between the two of us yeah yeah yeah. Okay. It's interesting in the UK we try and um, call them by the gene name rather than the kind of Modi one two three four five because we find a lot of people get a bit muddled as to okay which one's that um, yeah. so we try and talk about the, the gene name so that uh, clinicians could be a bit more familiar. Yeah, I think it's it's slipped in in my language uh, through discussing <laughs> Modi online with all the other people. But you're you're yeah. absolutely right. It's uh, it can be very um, how do you say it? Confusing for some people. Mm. Yeah. Um, let me see. Um, so you you told us already there are about thirteen genes now um, discovered that uh, attribute to Modi. So over over thirty. Over thirty. So that. Whoa. Yeah, so that, that's a combination of um, genes that cause neonatal diabetes okay. um, and genes which cause a more Modi-like type of diabetes. So neonatal diabetes, we tend to talk about that where the diabetes presents within the first six months of life. Um, and then the term Modi typically relates to individuals who are diagnosed, say, below the age of 25, that kind of age group so within monogenic diabetes we tend to think about those as, as different groups but yeah there's over 30 genes um, and we think there's more genes to be discovered because um, we have some families referred to us who have a very a clinical picture or phenotype as we call it that we think oh they, they must have monogenic diabetes because they've got x y and z but actually if we don't find a specific genetic change we kind of keep those samples and as we just as the lab team discover new genes and um, then 
you know, we may put those patients back through the testing to see if there's, it's a new gene that's been caused. So we think there are new genes still to identify. Um, and there new, been new genes identified kind of, you know, throughout the time that we've been doing this really. Okay, I didn't know that. I, I thought I heard 13, but 30, whoa, it's an exciting field. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Is there anything you would like to discuss with us, uh, thing you especially want to mention? Yeah, one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is the some of the education that we've been running. Um, so again, on on our um, diabetes genes website, we've put up a, um, we put details of the education that we run. But we're very we've been working in England with NHS England with the idea of we're trying to train up at least one diabetes consultant and one diabetes specialist nurse in every hospital across the UK to be a lead in monogenic diabetes. Because what we don't want is a patient, wherever they happen to live, um, you know, going to their diabetes service and nobody's ever heard about monogenic diabetes. So we're really keen to train healthcare professionals across the world in monogenic diabetes. So we've been running some virtual two-day courses in monogenic diabetes. And we've had delegates from all over the world, America, Australia, Brazil, um, you know, you name it. We've had clinicians um, attending the amazing the courses that we've been running. Um, and we've also got all of those talks um, saved on our Diabetes Genes website that actually patients can access as well as healthcare professionals. So if they go to the training section on our Diabetes Genes website, they can, um, for patients, there's a online course which they can just access if they want to listen to the talks from the experts. Um, they can listen to those talks and, and hear all about it. Um, and likewise, if the professionals would like to do that in their own time, rather than a full two days learning about monogenic diabetes, um, they can go on and listen to those talks in their own time. And in fact, we were talking about um, one, we're going to run another two day course in October. And we were talking about should we be changing the timing to make it more accessible to our American colleagues to uh, to join us. So they're not having to get up in the middle of the night to, uh, to listen to us, but really, really keen to provide um, easily accessible, um, you know, content about monogenic diabetes for patients or professionals, because I think it's a you know, often we find our patients know more about monogenic diabetes than, you know, some of the clinicians that they go and see. So particularly, as I say, in the UK, we're looking to train up a monogenic diabetes lead in every single hospital mm -hmm. in the UK. And it'd be great if we could do that across the world. Yes, because I find not many knowledgeable people, providers at all. It's a hard time finding knowledgeable providers in the United States. Yeah. knowledge well we do have Rena. i don't, don't know if you've been involved with it but we, um my colleagues run an h and f1 beta virtual day probably once a year so for families they run a, oh, did you? And that was like <laughs> right i just want to make sure you heard about after, it that's actually was like a month after i was actually diagnosed okay, okay. with the with my official diagnosis uh -huh. It was like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah, Everything yeah. fit into a package Absolutely. as opposed to yeah. 
GI, kidney. I was at all these different neuro. It was like, oh, it did fit. Yeah, it, yeah. Because they all said, they said that it didn't fit all one thing and it actually didn't. And then it all starts to make sense, doesn't it? It all started you know, why, have I got, yeah. why have I got all these different things? And actually, yeah, because yeah, I shouldn't have had diabetes complications for someone that had an American, like an A1C of five. I think it's uh, it's an amazing thing you are doing because I often feel that that is one of the most difficult things uh, I encounter in, in everyday life is when I go and see a health professional and they haven't heard about Modi and I, I sometimes don't even go through explaining it. I just tell them I'm type one because um, I don't want to get through the explanation every single time. So it would be so much easier for all of us if if they were just more aware of it. So I think that's great. I think, I think one other thing I'd like to, to talk about, which is um, relatively new, which again is particularly important for partic- some of the particular types of monogenic diabetes. So if the type of monogenic diabetes impacts on the birth weight of the baby specifically, um, so for example, in glucokinase or in HNF, for alpha, we're able to offer for pregnant women what's called a cell-free fetal DNA test. So that by taking a blood sample from the mother, we're able to identify whether the fetus has inherited the genetic change. And the reason for doing that is then to help manage that pregnancy better. And even for example, if the father's got HNF4 alpha and the pregnant wife doesn't have diabetes, that fetus is still at 50% chance of inheriting the HNF4-alpha gene, which can then result in a baby producing extra insulin in utero, and you ending up with a big baby who could have neonatal hypoglycemia, low blood glucose at birth, which needs treatment. So by being able to offer the cell-free fetal DNA testing and knowing that result in advance, you can then either treat it as a low risk pregnancy if the baby hasn't inherited the genetic change or actually this is a high risk pregnancy where you do need early early delivery say you do need a pediatrician um, at delivery you do need to check the baby's blood glucose etc so that's a kind of a recent development which can really make a difference for the management of monogenic diabetes pregnancy where the birth weight's affected and that's not in every type of monogenic diabetes but it's in some of those specific forms but it's it's really important in those cases wonderful that's uh something i I would never have thought about but so important for this women even if if it's the it's the male partner who has modi or has monogenic diabetes yeah, so we, we love to, to end every episode on a, a positive note. So could you maybe tell us what you think is the most rewarding achievement in your career today and why? Sure. I think for me, it's just really being able to make a difference for patients. And I'll just give you one example that sums this up quite nicely. So within the UK, I've got a network of what we call genetic diabetes nurses. So this is where we've trained up diabetes specialist nurses in monogenic diabetes, and now we're spreading that even wider. Um, But as a consequence of training nurses up in monogenic diabetes, this is helping more patients get the right diagnosis. 
And just to give you an example, um, one of our genetic diabetes nurses in the northwest of England had been trained by us um, and had heard about neonatal diabetes. And she then went and gave a talk in her region to the consultants and the diabetes teams about neonatal diabetes. And one of the consultants in the audience put his hand up and he said, well, I've got a patient who was diagnosed as a baby. Could she have neonatal diabetes? And the answer was, well, yes, absolutely. We want a sample from that patient. That patient was now 43 years of age. So she's had neonatal diabetes diagnosed within the first three months of life. We got a blood sample from her. She'd been on insulin treatment for 43 years. She works, um, her, her family own a transport business. So they are, you know, driving big lorries, etc. She'd never been able to drive a lorry because she was on insulin treatment. Um, we got a blood sample from her. And by getting the correct diagnosis, we identified a gene that she'd got in the KCNJ11 gene, which meant that she didn't have type 1 diabetes, which she believed she'd had for 43 years. She'd got potassium channel KCNJ11 neonatal diabetes. That meant she was able to stop her insulin, which she'd had for 43 years. She improved her HbA1c. She was able to lose some weight. Um, she, her pre-proliferative retinopathy retinopathy, the damage at the back of her eyes was reversed. Um, she felt so much better. She wasn't having all the swings in blood glucose because she transferred to sulfonylurea tablet. But more importantly for her, the driving vehicle regulations were lifted and um, because she no longer needed insulin. So she was able to get a heavy goods vehicle license and drive the lorries within the family firm. So for me, being able to have play just a tiny part in making that difference for that patient. That's absolutely what it's all about. And that's really, really rewarding. That's a very lovely story. That, that must be an amazing feeling indeed, if you can really have that much of an impact on a single person. And, and she felt better because she had the right diagnosis. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, you know, we hear that many times over you know with, with patients getting the right diagnosis or as you say Rena, it's for other patients it's kind of well why did this happen why did that happen why did something else happen and actually just being able to make sense of that for people and also that kind of you know this isn't your fault this is just yeah it's just you would, it didn't feel good the insulin wasn't working i mean it wasn't that it worked so it wasn't the right treatment for her either yeah. And I think also for the diabetes teams, for the diabetes nurses and consultants, you know, they really like learning a bit more and getting the right diagnosis that's going to make a difference for their patients because we all want to make, you know, every patient's lives easier, better, you know, get the right information, the right treatment, give you the right risk for your family members. You know, you don't want to be given some just general information that actually doesn't apply to you. We want to give you the right information and the right support. And that's what's really important. Exactly. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that side of the story because we, we often tend to only see our part of the story and get sometimes a bit angry and frustrated with the healthcare providers, but they're humans too and they're only trying to help us and we sometimes lose track of that. So it's really nice to, to hear your perspective on that one as well. So thank you. And I think, I think also, you know, for us, to be able to um, spread the word about, okay, this is where they can access some easy training on our website. 
you know, the, the online training for them is completely free and they can do that in their own time. If they want to come to the two day course again, because it's virtual, it's really quite cheap. So shouldn't be a barrier for anybody learning about monogenic diabetes. So, you know, to help us spread the word about that's fantastic. And I think you you coming on here and talking to us will will help that immensely. We, we're going to spread the word because um, that is um, ultimately the goal of this uh, whole endeavor. Um, we want to help to raise awareness. And yeah, we want to thank you, you once again. Thank you so much. Part of that. It's, uh... Well, no, thank you for what you're doing. I mean, it, you know, we the more people that help raise awareness, absolutely the better. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. How amazing was that? I still can't believe that Professor Maggie Shepard agreed to come on this podcast and discuss all the things Modi with us. I learned so much and I hope you did too. Um, please let me know your thoughts um, and I'll hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye.